Hey, as you're uh, sitting down, why don't you pull out your copy of the scripture, the listening guide you received on the way in, and hopefully you brought a pen or a pencil with you so you can write some things down. We won't be in this section of the service for very long. Just want to say a few simple things, but I would love for you to write them down so you'll be able to remember them later. I brought a picture with me tonight because when I was growing up uh, to get to my house, we had to pass this field every single day. And at the other end of that field, you can see some trees there. Uh, That was where my house was. And so I would tell my parents from kindergarten on up, uh, let me out right here and I will race you across the field. They had to go the long way, which is the roads, you know. Uh, I just believed that I could race them across this field and get to the house first. And so, you know, obviously I'm a little kid. My parents were going to let me off on the side of the road. But uh, it was just an inside joke consistently. And one day I was about 15 years old. My dad pulled over and said, get out. I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, let's, let's see it. You've been talking for years about racing us across this field. Let's see what happens. And so I was like, it's on old man. (laughs) And I took off and I, I literally, I had to pass that field every single day. So I had an internal clock as I was racing where they were going a long way in the car, and I knew that I had to give it my all. I knew I had to run fast the entire way if I was going to beat them, and I got about three-fourths of the way, and then I just had to stop. I did not have what it took to run that fast the whole way, and then my dad has never let me hear the end of it, you know, because intention without endurance is nothing. Intention without endurance is worthless. In every area of your life, and especially as we seek Jesus together, intention is not enough. Want to is not enough. Hope is not enough. It has to be intention plus enduring faithfulness. You see in your listening guide that the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, had two goals as they were writing this letter. Goal number one, to illustrate the superiority of Jesus. I mean, already in Hebrews, we've seen that Jesus is superior to Abraham. Jesus is superior to Mechizedek. Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus is superior to the law. Jesus is superior to the Old Testament priestly system. To illustrate the superiority of Jesus. And the second goal of the book of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is to encourage the church to be faithful to remain faithful because there were some things that were jeopardizing their enduring faithfulness. You see those in your listening guide. Number one, persecution was jeopardizing their faithfulness and and he was encouraging them to remain faithful. Look at what it says in verse 32. Think back on those early days of Hebrews chapter 10. When you first learned about Christ, remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. I mean, that's a pretty intense list. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule. You were beaten Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. 
Now think about how much different that list would feel to us reading this scripture if we were in North Korea today. If that's where we were reading this passage, think about how more, more real that list would feel to us. Because persecution feels very distant to us. It, it, it happens other places far away. But we don't always need to take that for granted. Did you know that Christians were not really persecuted in the first century by the Roman Empire until there was a fire in Rome and the emperor Nero needed somebody to blame. And so he thought, well, I'll blame this minority group known as Jesus followers, Christians. We'll blame them. Nobody's gonna defend them. And it unleashed a great persecution among the first, among the first centuries. It went from zero to 100 with just one event. So it does feel distant. It does feel like that would never happen here. But you never know. And persecution was jeopardizing their enduring faithfulness. But the second thing that was jeopardizing their endurance was apathy. They had to resist apathy. Look what it says in verse 32. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. The writer is saying, hey, remember the way it used to be? Remember when you acted like this? Remember when you responded with joy when things were taken from you? Uh, they're reminding these Christians of, you know, be like you used to be. Uh, it's 50-50 whether or not you're going to be faithful or you're going to walk away. So fight off this apathy. You know, apathy is like your car in neutral. Uh, it can be pushed, it can be pulled, but it has no drive of its own. Right? So your friends can push you towards God or your friends can pull you away from God. Your spouse can push you towards Jesus or they can pull you away. Right? Your church can pull you along or sometimes he can even push you away. But when you're apathetic, you're just in neutral. You don't have any pursuit, any drive, any movement of your own. And apathy sneaks up on us. Apathy never phones ahead and says, I'm coming for you. It just gently rocks you to sleep. One of our anniversaries a few years ago, Amanda and I went to California to the Monterey Bay area. One of the things on her bucket list was to go whale watching. So we made a reservation. We showed up at the harbor, got in the boat. And if you've never been whale watching, you, you just kind of go out there and you wait for a whale to spout. And then the captain of the ship boats you over towards the spout. And, and then you wait to see if the whale is going to come out of the water some way. And then you stop and you listen for more spouts and you see it. And then you race over to that section and you wait. And so essentially you're just chasing these whales around all day. It was an unbelievable experience. It doesn't sound like it's that awesome, but it was awesome. <laughs> and so we were out there for three or four hours, most of the, what seemed like most of the day. And eventually it's sort of time to kind of turn around and head back, but you're still chasing the whales around. And for about the last hour, you know, I wasn't standing up anymore. I thought, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sit down. And once I started sitting down, I thought, I'm just going to close my eyes for just a second. And then, then I, I slept for about the last 45 minutes until we arrived back at the marina. Because you're in that boat all day long, just rocking you. And you don't really notice it. 
And then you look around and everybody on the boat is asleep. You know? And that's what apathy is like. You didn't realize that you were sleepy until you were asleep. It just slowly rocks you. Just the rhythm of everyday life lulling us to sleep. If persecution feels like a distant threat, apathy is always knocking on our door. And it jeopardizes our enduring faithfulness. So what's the answer? Thankfully, through the Holy Spirit, the author of Hebrews just says it so clearly to us tonight. In verse 35, So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Then this author is going to quote Habakkuk chapter two. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. You can see in your listening guide, there are three things that will help us towards enduring faithfulness today because intent without endurance is worthless. Number one, I will keep my confident trust. I will keep my confident trust. That's what it says in verse 35. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. What gives us confidence in our faith? We can't see faith today. It doesn't materialize. It's not anything that you can back up 100% sure with facts, it's faith. But what gives us confidence in that faith? There are two primary things. One, God's character gives us confidence in our faith. His unchanging character. The second thing is our experience with God in the past gives us that confident trust as we move into the future. We've experienced God's perfect character. So it's not just something we know about him. It's not just a fact that we read in a book. It's not just a story that we heard someone else say. We see it and we've experienced it. That's why it's important to develop the skill of remembering. If we remembered more, we would doubt less. Our problem is not that God is not at work in our lives. Our problem is that we forget his work in our lives. So every time we get to a new crisis of belief, a decision-making moment, we act like it's the first time that we've been there. God's unchanging character gives us confidence, and our experience with his unchanging character gives us that confident trust, and we won't throw it away. Number two, we will remember our reward I will remember my reward. It says in verse 35, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. It says back up in verse 34, you suffered along with those who were thrown into jail and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. Here's why. Because you knew that there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Remember that list that we read Just a second ago, of all they were suffering, they were exposed to terrible suffering. They were publicly ridiculed. They were beaten. 
some of them were thrown into jail and everything that they owned was taken from them. So I brought a list so you could see it laid out. All that was taken from them. And then look at the reward that God has promised to us that corresponds to their personal experience of suffering. There's terrible suffering that they're experiencing, the, author, the, the, the Christians that the Hebrews uh, are writing to, but God says that there's no sorrow or pain in eternal life. Uh, they were being publicly ridiculed, but Jesus promised if we will acknowledge him before men, then he will acknowledge us before his father. And I've always thought about that as an equal exchange. If we are bold and confident and are not embarrassed of Jesus at work or in our neighborhood or on Facebook, then Jesus will mention us before God, that somehow those things are equal. But they're not equal. Uh, Jesus is taking the greater risk. Because you think about who God is, and then you think about who you are and I am. It's a no-brainer to speak for Jesus at work. He's perfect, he's holy, he's loving, he's kind, he's good. That makes sense to speak up for him. But to stand before God and speak up for me? To acknowledge me before God, knowing the things that I know about myself, knowing the things that you know about yourself, and for Jesus to say, yeah, they're with me. To lend his credibility to us as he stands before God is the greater risk. They were experiencing public ridicule, but Jesus has promised a greater reward. They were beaten, but the scripture says that God's power holds our salvation. They were thrown in jail, but the psalmist said that we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. They had things stolen from them, but Jesus said we can store treasure in heaven where moth and rust won't destroy and where no thief can break in and steal. This is the reward that they were looking for, which meant that they could endure a little bit longer. 1 Peter chapter 5, turn a few pages to the right. This is how Peter describes that reward in verse 4. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. I don't know if you went to Burger King as a kid but you remember those paper crowns that they used to give you at Burger King? Uh, it's been quite some time since I've been to Burger King. I don't know, are they still doing the crowns? Anybody want to admit that they've been to Burger King recently? I mean, that feels worse than admitting I've been to McDonald's, you know? <laughs> Burger King needs better PR. Right? But they would, they would give you that crown. And, and when you were a kid, uh, and when I was a kid, we would wear that crown. My my parents were not big Burger King fans, but my grandparents were because they sold a mug and you would get free refills. And my grandparents always loved a bargain. And so we would always go to Burger King because they got free drinks. And, uh, and I'd wear that crown every time I went to Burger King with my grandparents. But eventually you grow out of that and you stop wearing that paper crown. And then until you're like a teenager and it becomes ironic and then you grow out of it again. 
But when you're a kid, you don't care because the crown is the opportunity to pretend, uh, to be important, to be a king or to be a queen. But when you get older and you understand that that crown doesn't really stand for anything, it doesn't mean anything, it's just paper, you stop wearing it. Um, So we read about crowns that are promised to us as our reward. And if we're being honest today, we're like, okay, you you know, I'm going to get a hat when I get to heaven. And uh, I mean, honestly, like we don't live in a monarchy, so it's not like most of us have ever dreamed of wearing a crown. So it's not that motivating. But just like when we were kids, it's not about the crown itself. That's not the reward. It's what the crown stands for. That's the reward. So when we get to heaven, it's it's not just headwear that we're getting. It's, uh, It's status. We're getting status as a son or a daughter of God. Um, we're getting access to God. Uh, We have that now, but we experience it by faith and then we'll experience it in person. Uh, And the crown means we have that access and the crown means we're gonna have responsibility. I'm not just gonna get up there and float around on harps with wings and clouds. Jesus said, if you're faithful in this life, he's gonna give you more responsibility when you get there. This is not an internal vacation where for the first week it's cool and for the second week you're like, eh, kind of ready to get back into it. There's going to be meaningful things to do there and that crown means that you're responsible. That crown means that you're going to have a pursuit to the glory of God there. That crown means we're going to be rewarded and we have to remember our reward. reward. And then finally, the third thing I will be patient. I will be patient. It says in verse 36, patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Uh, patient endurance feels like it doesn't need to be said. It should just either be patience or endurance. You know, to endure should mean to us that we're going to have to have patience. But I think most of us want quick endurance where it's tough for just a second and then it's easy. Right? Where it requires something us, of us for just a minute and then it, it gets better. Quick endurance. But the author of Hebrews says, no, we need patient endurance. We need to be able to be in this for the full race the long haul, we need patient in endurance. We need patient endurance to receive that reward. You know, God has always been a rewarder of those who seek him. That's what Hebrews chapter 11, verse six says. You know, God came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and said, Abraham, I want you to leave the city where you are. I want you to leave your father. I want you to leave everything you know and just come and follow me. And God could have just left it at that. By all we know, this was the first time that God had spoke to Abraham. Abraham, I'm God, come and do this. But God adds a second part. And if you will do this, then I'm gonna make you the father of a great nation and your descendants are gonna be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. God built in the reward. Abraham didn't ask for the reward, but God is a rewarder of those who seek him. So Abraham, do this and I'm gonna reward you. In 1 Kings chapter nine, God comes to David and says, David, if you will remain upright in heart, 
if you'll follow me, if you'll be the king that my people need, if your life will be mine, then I'm gonna make sure that one of your descendants sits on the throne of Israel forever. David didn't ask for that, but God is a rewarder of those who seek him. So David was seeking God and God said, I'm gonna reward you. But what's interesting is Abraham nor David received their reward in their lifetime. When Abraham died, he just had one son, Isaac. No stars, no sand, just one son. Not a great nation, just one son. When David died, Solomon was going to replace him. And then immediately after Solomon, it it all fell apart. They didn't receive their reward in their lifetime to receive it. They needed patient endurance. They needed enduring faithfulness. And I think that you and I need to begin to draw a line between my request and my reward. Because I think most of us, well, let me give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, you know, we, we have this property just across the freeway, just, just about three minutes from here, 1400 Britmore. Hopefully this summer we're going to be moving over there. It's, it's going to be awesome. The school has been great. Uh, it would nice, be nice to get out of the school and we need more seats. You know, we have too many people coming. It's a good problem to have. So we need some more seats. And so we're excited to move over there. Uh, we were supposed to start construction in the summer, but God knew a hurricane was coming. And so delay, delay, delay. Now we have this warehouse that's unused. Thank God for that. But then you would think as soon as the hurricane was over, like, boom, construction is happening. But no, more delay more delays, more delays. And in December, uh, I'm, I kind of asked some people who should know, maybe I should have known, I don't know, that, you know, like, hey, what's happening? Uh, why is nothing happening? And it turned out that the permits were lost in City Hall somewhere, you know, bureaucracy, all of that kind of thing. And so after Christmas was over, I, I started praying. I wrote it down one day that the permits would come through so we can get in there, you know. And literally the next day, the permits came through. Now, I'm not taking credit for that because lots of people are working hard. Lots of people have been praying. I was just the last one on the, the boat, you know, of prayer. Uh, but it, it, it was awesome to, to just pray. And then like literally, literally the next day, permits came through. And I think when that happens to us, we think, well, that's my reward. I made a request and God granted my request and that's my reward. But the problem with that is that it trains us that God is moved by our righteousness. And if I can just figure out how to live just perfectly, if I can figure out how to position myself, if I can figure out the right phrases to pray, if I can want it enough, manipulate myself enough, then God will reward me by giving me this thing that I'm asking for. And we know that's not how God works. Romans chapter 11 says, who can ever put God in their debt? Who who can ever act like God should repay us? It doesn't work like that, right? We also need to differentiate ourselves between our reward and our request because what happens when we make a request and then we get an answer, and then something bad happens right after that. We think, God, we had a deal. We had a deal. I behave, you give me what I want. I straighten up, good things happen. I do this faith thing, 
I get rewarded. But there's a difference between God answering my requests and the reward. The third reason why we need to make sure that we don't confuse reward and request is because when we think of God's answering our prayers as our reward, we can't truly say what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. Because we want our reward. I'm asking this prayer and I want you to give me what I want and I deserve it because I've been behaving, because I've been praying, because I've been going to church, because I've been reading my Bible, because I've been helping people, because I've been giving. But to say your will be done requires somebody knowing uh, my reward is not in this lifetime. My reward is coming. Something better is coming. And, and, and thank God he does answer our requests. Thank God that he is a good father. If we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more does our father in heaven know how to give good gifts to his children? But there is a difference between the reward that is coming and God's gracious answer to our requests. So don't let a yes or a no or a wait stop you from seeking this reward that is to come. Because if you feel like your reward is up and down in this life, you won't endure. But it is coming. Just not yet. And that's why we need patient endurance. But tonight is just a real simple reminder. That intent by itself is not good enough. Want to in and of itself is not going to get the job done. It's our intent plus our ability to endure by the power of the Holy Spirit according to the word of God that will make sure that we have the enduring faithfulness that Jesus wants out of us.